0: Good morning. Good to see you guys. Um, A couple of weeks ago, we started, as Paul mentioned, um, this study on the first chapter of the book of Daniel. And we read the story of this uh, uh, guy named Daniel with three friends who, when he was very young, he was 14, 15 years old, uh, they all had to face this uh, huge dilemma of conscience because they were taken captive into Babylon, which is the representation in the Bible of uh, cities that are completely perverted and perverse. Uh, uh, But as many believers have done throughout history, uh, these kids in the midst of this hard situation knew how to keep their integrity to the point, if you have read the book before, to the point where sometimes they had to put their lives at risk, but they still kept their integrity. And, um, you know, last week I left you guys hanging You know, we were about to enter into the resolution of Daniel. So today we're going to start studying that resolution. I'm going to read uh, verses 8 to 16. We're going to focus uh, primarily on verse 8. But I I want you to understand the, the scope of what they had to go through and what they were willing to do. Okay, so let's read Daniel 1 verses 8 to 16. We'll pray and dive into the study. Daniel uh, then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Misael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. It was nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they look healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food so the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead let's pray <clears throat> father um, we are opening your word lord and um, as you yourself say in your word we, we need you we need of your holy spirit in order for us to understand everything that you teach here so will you do that father will you just open our spiritual eyes and, and give us understanding uh, we ask this in the beautiful name of your Son Jesus Christ, Amen. All right. So last week we were talking about how, you know, we studied the strategies of the world, um, and we saw how Nebuchadnezzar had this brilliant plan, you know, on 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 how to control or keep under control the vast territories that he had conquered with his armies. And what he did was he selected young men from the nobility of the countries that he defeated. And then he passed them through this process that we call Babylonization. Remember, he he, he isolated them first from from the influence of their families and and the teachings of their religions. He started then indoctrinating them with the philosophies of of the Babylonians and the teachings and beliefs of of that country. Uh, And then he started trying to assimilate them into their culture by changing what they ate and what they drank. And he tried to also change their identity by replacing Their names, you know, this king knew that if he could mold the character of these kids at that young age, you know, he could make them think uh, of him as their benefactor, and and maybe they would later help him to keep those lands under control. But Daniel made a resolution, you know, along with his three friends, and this resolution made such an impact on the remnant of Israel that was there in Babylon that those repercussions Come all the way to this day, if you think about it, because we're thousands of miles away from where this happened and thousands of years after it happened, and here we are sitting in this room studying the life of Daniel. So his resolution had a full impact on, on everything that came after him. Today, we're going to begin the study of the resolution. I don't know if you noticed the subject of this message. It's called Daniel's Resolution, Part 1. Which means, you know what it means. Okay. Um, What we're going to do is we're going to study the resolution. But I want to look at this resolution from different angles. Because then we're really going to understand what happened there. And the first angle, the number one in your notes, is the nature of his resolution. What is the nature of this resolution? Um, The resolution is found in the beginning of verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. To better understand uh, the, the true nature of this resolution, we have to go to the original language. Um, Daniel is a rare book. I don't know if you knew this, but the first six chapters were written in Aramaic, and the rest of the book was written in Hebrew. So this part is in Aramaic, okay? And what it says there, it, verbatim, is he resolved in his heart not to defile himself. What does that mean? It means the resolution that he made did not come from the outside. No one forced Daniel to do anything. This is a decision that he made in his heart. So this communicates an idea that I'm going to tell you what the idea is. It's formed of two concepts, and then we're going to analyze the two concepts, okay? I put this in your notes. Daniel solemnly determined... A specific course of action. So, on one hand, it was a solemn determination, and then the other one was for a specific course of action. So, let's analyze the first. See, he resolved in his heart. Um, How many of you make New Year resolutions? Have you ever made one? Raise your hand. Come on, be honest. You're not wanting to, you know what, you don't want to raise your hand because you didn't keep it. You're ashamed (laughs) because most of us make resolutions and we make them in January and by February we have forgotten about them, right? Well, this is not the type of resolution that Daniel made. See, he determined that he was not going to allow these people to defile him under any circumstance. The word that is used there in Aramaic is patash. And, and it is used in other verses in the Bible, and if we study these other verses, you're going to understand the nature of the determination that he made, okay? Uh, it is used also in Exodus chapter 5. If you remember the context in this um, part of the Bible, uh, God has sent Moses to talk to Pharaoh and tell him to let his people go, okay? Okay. So Moses goes and tells the Pharaoh that he wants to take all the people, all the Hebrew people out into the desert to pray for three days. But instead of letting them go, Pharaoh gets angry. He says, you're just a bunch of lazy people. You have too much time in your hands. This is why you want to go pray for three days. I think that you can work harder. So he gives this order to the slave drivers because they have been enslaved by then. And this is what Pharaoh says to the slave drivers. Exodus chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it. That word there, impose, it's exactly the same word that Daniel used. See, this was not a suggestion from the Pharaoh to the slave drivers. It it, it was not an advice that they were going to give to the Hebrew people. This was an authoritative imposition on them. This is an order from the king. But in this case, this came from the outside. This was an order that somebody else gave them. But since this was the king ordering it, they had no choice but to do it. You know, the overseers had to pass the order and the Hebrew people had to obey the order. Well, in the same way that this happened, Daniel imposed in his own heart this decision. And with the same firmness that the overseers were going to make sure that the Hebrew people would fulfill the order, Daniel was going to guard his heart and made sure that this is what happened. Very likely, Daniel got this word from a passage that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 11. You know, the, 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 Children in in the biblical times in Jerusalem were taught the first five books of the Bible since they were very little. At the age of eight, they would be tested. And if they assimilated the word well and they could teach it, they could repeat it correctly, they would consider them to become teachers of the word. If they didn't, at eight, they returned them to their parents to learn their trade. But that means that they heard these words over and over and over since the time that they were very young. So it's very likely that Daniel got this word that he used in his own book from a passage like this one, Deuteronomy 11:18. We mentioned some of this last week. Do you remember when I mentioned that God gives the law to Moses and then he orders him to go and teach it to the people and to their children? Listen to these words, Deuteronomy 11, verse 18. So commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads. As reminders. See, in this verse, God is asking us to make the same commitment that Daniel made in his heart. He is asking us to make the same commitment, but in regards to his word. Fix them in your head, he said. You know, impress them in your heart. And this is exactly what Daniel is doing. This is what the word means. You know, it, it is a commitment that was well thought out. Daniel, considered this carefully. This was not an emotional outburst. See, it, it is very common that, um, you know, like in, in, in Mexico, it's very common that uh, some churches will take people in religious retreats and they manipulate their emotions for hours until everybody is completely excited and emotional about it. And then they make these promises. I will never sin again. I will never do that And their commitment usually lasts until they go back and the emotion passes and they go back to the life that they had before. This is not an emotional decision. See, Daniel considered this carefully. This is comparable to uh, Luke chapter 9 when Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem knowing what he was going to have to go through there. Or the apostle Paul in Acts 19 when he says, I'm going to Jerusalem knowing that from there... I'm going to end up in Rome. I know the cost. I know the price. But I solemnly determined to do it. That's the solemnity of this determination. But on the other hand, I want you to notice that this was a very specific determination, a specific course of action. He said he would not defile himself with the royal food and wine. I believe that many people fail in their resolutions because they make them very vague, you know? They're very ambiguous with with, with their commitments. They say, this year, I'm going to be a better Christian, a better husband, a better wife, you know, a better son, a better student, a better worker. And they live it at that. So what does that mean? See, the question when you make a decision like that is, what exactly are you going to do different from this moment on? Exactly what? You say you want to be a better Christian. What you're really saying is, I want to have a real and profound relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the only way you can do that is through His Word. People that believe that they have a good relationship with God but never read the Bible and they don't know the Bible, they usually make up their own God. So what you're saying is, As of tomorrow, I'm going to wake up at this time. I'm going to read my Bible following this study plan for this many minutes. I'm going to meditate on the Word, and I'm going to have a journal. I'm going to write the meditations of my heart in this journal every day. I'm going to read a Christian non-fictional book every two months. Here is the list of books. This is the one that I'm starting, and I'm starting today. That's a resolution, specific. I'm going to be a better husband. I cannot tell you how to be a better wife. I can only talk to husbands here, okay? I'm going to be a better husband. What does that mean? I'm going to make a commitment to change specific things. You know, before I get to my house after work, I'm going to take my hat of worker off. I'm going to put my husband's hat, and I'm going to come in, and I'm going to, if my kids are young, I'm going to participate and get involved in the family dynamics. And when they go to sleep, I'm going to sit with my wife and ask her about her day pay attention, tell her about mine. I'm going to make a date with my wife every week or every other week where we will go and have some quality time and I would listen to her heart. You know, specific things. Daniel says, I am not going to eat this food. As a husband, I am not going to get to my house and turn the TV on. I want to leave it off so we can talk. Daniel says, I am not going to eat this food. I'm not going to drink this wine. See, you know what's the problem? When we run into people like Daniel, I I wonder how would you and I view Daniel if he was here today. Because a lot of people, when they see somebody that is determined to be obedient to God in every single thing that he says, people go like, you don't have to be so exaggerated. You have to be, I mean, it's a good thing to believe in God and be a Christian and all that, but you don't have to be a fanatic about it, right? Listen to me. Taking seriously obedience to God is not fanatism. It's called faithfulness, okay? And you need to understand the difference between those two terms because they are very different and people are going to use them to try to derail you. Because when your friends say, hey, you're a fanatic, you start feeling guilty about whether if you are or not. So do you know what the difference between a fanatic and a faithful person is? See, I'm going to tell you what a fanatic is. A fanatic is a person that acts in an irrational way, motivated by religious impulses that are not based in the word of God. Did you hear that? Irrational behavior, motivated by religious impulses, but not grounded in the word of God. So when you hear of a person that goes and kills a doctor because he performed an abortion, that's irrational. I'm not talking about the abortion. That's a different thing that the doctor will have to give account for. But the one that goes and kills him is going against the word of God. You know, these religious people that embark in holy wars and mass murder a bunch of innocent people. That's irrational behavior. Why? Because it's not grounded, not even in their own scriptures. Did you know that the Quran condemns taking the life of another person? So is that rational or irrational? See, what we have in Daniel is a faithful man. What is that? It's a person that has decided to live for God and obey his word in every area of his life, regardless of the consequences. That's faithfulness. Now, think about it. If you tell me that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, that means that you believe in the Bible as the word of God. And if you believe in the Bible as the word of God, that means that the only rational way to live is to live by the word of God. Why? What does the Bible say? You know what the first line in the Bible says? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That means God created everything that is outside And inside of this universe, everything, including you, your heart is beating right now because Jesus holds it together. And the moment that he decides to stop holding it, you collapse and die. Your blood flows through you because Jesus is making it flow. Whose food do you think you eat every day? Whose air do you breathe? Who created every single thing in the systems that control them? God. So how can it possibly be irrational to live based on the Bible? See, the only rational way to live your life is by obeying God. Daniel made this resolution because he knew that he belonged to God and that God is a good and loving father and that everything that he commands us to do is for our own good and his glory. Everything. Listen to these words in Psalm 119. Verses 44 and 45. I will keep on obeying your instructions forever and ever. I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. Did you hear what he just said? I will walk free because I have decided to obey. I am determined to obey your commandment. Freedom comes from obeying God. I mean, isn't that our experience? Haven't you ever disobeyed God just to wake up the next morning feeling ashamed of yourself, completely depressed, like a cockroach, because you did what you knew you shouldn't have done? But when you obey Him and you trust Him, then you feel good with yourself and you feel free from the slavery of the sins that afflict you all the time. It is very interesting because there's people that think of the Word of God as a straitjacket. You know, I can't move. I can't do anything. It's the opposite. Read the word of God. You're going to see how he makes us free. He doesn't say you can't eat, you can't drink, you can't have sex. He says there's boundaries. They're there for your own good. You will enjoy fully those things, really those things, when you see them as a gift that comes from you within these boundaries. This is why Jesus said, you will know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. Daniel knew that the best thing he could do is do what God said to do. So he decided to obey him always and in everything. Because he knew there's no middle ground. There's no half Christian. You're either a disciple of Jesus Christ and follow him in obedience or you are not. There's no middle. That's like, it's like pregnancy. You're not half pregnant. One or the other, Okay. But that's the nature of the resolution, okay? It's a firm, solemn determination to a specific course of action. Now I want you to see the reason for his resolution. What was the reason behind this refusal to eat the king's food? Have you ever thought about it? I mean, they come and say, we're going to take you to live at the palace. Fine. We're going to teach you all these new belief systems. All right. We're going to give you this food. No, 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 that's where I draw the line. Why, why did he do that, you know? Well, the thing is, see, even though scriptures don't say it specifically, there's a big hint when he says, I will not defile myself by eating this food. So, so there's a few things that can mean that. On, on one hand, It is known by historians that the food that was served at the king's table was offered to the Babylonian gods before they ate. You know, the the Babylonians, as we should, thought that eating was a religious activity. See, when you sit down at the table and the food is placed in front of you and you stop and say, God. I love you. Thank you. You provide for me. This food is yours and you're giving it to me. You're turning your meal into a religious activity. Okay. And the Babylonians believed that. So they offered their meats first to their idols and then they would eat it. So maybe Daniel thought that eating that food meant participating in their idolatry. Now, if you know the the, the Old Testament, the Jewish law prohibited any participation in idolatry and it specifically spoke to meat that had been offered to idols. You know the New Testament, you know that Paul spoke in that regard and he said that it is not a problem if if your faith is strong and you just thank God for what you eat. In 1 Corinthians 10.30, Paul wrote these words, if I take part in the meal with thankfulness, Why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? See, Paul knew that if your faith is strong, you know that it's just meat. And those are just things made by hand, those idols, and it it means nothing that they were offered to them. But in the very same letter, Paul says that doing that, you know, even if your faith is very strong and you're thanking God, but you do it in front of a person that has a weak faith, then for the sake of testimony and not making your brother or sister stumble, you should abstain. He wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 9 and 13. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live. For I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. See, I am convinced that Daniel's faith was very strong. I mean, he shows it all through his book. But his concern maybe was the testimony that he was giving to the other young men that were around the table. How does these thing apply to us today? <clears throat> well, thank God, H-E-B doesn't sell meat offered to idols. You know, <clears throat> so we don't have to worry about that. But the principle applies to us in other areas of our life, as you very well know. You know, this applies to you in the way that your faith might be very strong, and you may consider certain activities not a sin for you because they don't derail you, you know. But if people around you might be influenced by that decision and they are derailed, you're in big trouble. Because Jesus said, woe to him who is a stumbling block to one of my children. So careful with how you handle your freedom, okay? So it could have been the testimony. On the other hand, it's probable that the food that they were serving them was not kosher. You know, how does Daniel know if they were following the dietary laws of the Old Testament in the kitchen of the king? You know, the Jewish people had a bunch of limitations as far as what they could eat. They couldn't eat pork meat or rabbit or horses or meat with blood. Or that. There's a long list of things that they could not eat. So maybe Daniel is thinking, I don't know where this meat is coming from. It's better just to not eat any of them. See, if you think about it, all the other changes, whether they change their residence, their name or their teachings, did not spiritually contaminated them, but the food would. You know, so Daniel had it clear that being faithful to God in that circumstances would mean that he had to abstain from eating that food. And in that way, he could actually do what Paul concludes in his dissertation about the meat in in 1 Corinthians 10.31. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Daniel could be at peace in his heart, glorifying God for the food, knowing that what he was eating would not defile him. Now, again, to us, those limitations no longer apply. You can go and eat a pulled pork sandwich or a taco of carnitas without feeling any guilt, but the principle of giving glory to God for everything still applies to us. How does that apply? Well, we, we give him thanks for everything. See, when you truly worship god before you eat you're giving him glory instead of just a routine prayer you have to slow down and say thank you lord you know when you go to work like you have to work as for the lord you glorify him when you do that and when you thank him for your job if you're a student in this room When you thank God and say, thank you, God, that I get the privilege to go to school. You know, there are millions of kids around the world that would love that privilege, but they can't. And you have it. But we take things for granted. So we apply this principle when we truly say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for my clothes. Thank you for for my food. Thank you for the car. Thank you for, I have money for a tax. Thank you for whatever you have. Okay. Okay. Maybe the contamination that Daniel had in mind had something to do with something else that we mentioned last week. You know, maybe Nebuchadnezzar was trying to seduce them with a good life. You know, I have noticed that one of the things that can rotten a heart faster than anything else is comfort. You know, you start getting somebody very comfortable and soon they start forgetting God. They even forget who gave them that comfort. So for whatever reason, you know, the combination of these three things can lead us to the answer of why did they resist? What's the reason behind this? And I put this in your notes. To glorify God by staying pure and bear good testimony to others. Glorify God by keeping your heart pure and making sure that whatever everybody else around you sees, you know, it's a good testimony. Daniel was determined to give glory to God with everything. You want to bring me to live in the palace? Fine. I will be an influence for the glory of my God to as many people as I can, as he did, including the king. You know, you want to change all my studies and stuff? Fine. I will use all that knowledge for the glory of my God. And he did. He became one of the governors of that country using the knowledge of how they did things, but for the glory of his God. He did an excellent job. You want to change my name? Change it. My identity is rooted in my God, and I am not going to break one single one of his commandments. For whatever reason, they set a boundary, and they showed their characters in two ways that we're going to study a little bit in more depth next week, but I want you to to hear them first. Daniel and his friends showed maturity, And they showed courage. See, maturity is what you need. Spiritual maturity is what you need to be able to determine between what things you can compromise and which ones are not negotiable. See, they tried to change four things. And he said, these three are fine. This one, under any circumstance. You need to know the difference. We'll talk about it next week because it comes from the knowledge of the word of God. You know, it's like I, I have people that come and ask me these questions. Like, um, I remember this uh, girl that came and said to me, I'm dating this guy, and he's not a believer. You know, but he's really nice, and I really think I can change his heart. So if, do you think it's okay if I marry him? Have you read the Bible? Why would you ask God a question in prayer that he has already answered? Do you think he's going to change his mind? It's like, all right, I'm going to put an asterisk in the Bible except for Marco. you know. You need to have spiritual maturity to be able to discern between the things that you can compromise. If there's no moral issue, if there's no commandment in God involved, then you have to decide what's the wisest path. But if there's a commandment involved, not even think about it. That comes from maturity. But also you need courage. Because it takes courage to carry out that determination regardless of the consequences. Look, something that I have mentioned in the past, it's very hard for you to understand the reality of what these people went through unless when you read these passages, you try to get into the story and and, and vividly imagine what they lived. Try to imagine what what they went through for three years. These four young kids, 14, 15 years old, imagine the scene at, at, at the time of eating, like if it was a movie, you know, surrounded by a bunch of other 14, 15, 16 year olds, you know, they didn't eat at the king's table. They had, they ate apart, but they were fed the king's food and wine. So imagine this scene, like medieval scenes of banquets, you know, where they're bringing these pieces of meat of this size and and maybe slaves are walking around with jars of wine, filling their glasses. And imagine a bunch of 14, 15 year olds eating and drinking, and joking, and most likely looking at them eating like rabbits, you know, carrots and water, and mocking them, you know? Um, I don't know if you saw uh, this uh, series, The Crown. You know, we started watching, I like history, so we started watching it, hoping it was going to be historical. We stopped watching it when it turned into a soap opera, but uh, I remember a season Um, where they focus on Charles, who's now king of England, when he was a kid. And his father, Prince Philip, decides to send him to a boarding school that was famous because he was super tough. He, He thought that Charles was too delicate. So he sends him to this boarding school that is famous for turning boys into men. And the scenes that they show there, they show the cruelty that kids can have at that age towards someone that appears to be weaker. And by the way, I researched that after I saw it. I thought, I wonder if they exaggerated. Actually, it turns out that Netflix was nice. It's a lot harder in that school than what they showed in, in, in that episode. But that's what happens. Do you know how old Charles was when they sent him? 14. Same as Daniel. And you can see the cruelty. So imagine these guys, you know, like seeing the medium vegetables and going like, Aah pass me the pork you know like on purpose mocking them you know i'm sure that uh, among the kids that were there were other jewish kids that did give in into eating this food and i can guarantee you they were not very happy with daniel and their friends because their faith was weak and they gave in. And there's very few things that upset more a person with a weak faith than being in the presence of somebody with a strong faith. You know, it, it highlights their weakness. So they were not liked by their Jewish kids. Maybe the pressure came from somewhere else. You know, imagine the, 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 the Egyptian and Assyrian young men that were there, and they're eating their meat, and they're seeing some Jewish kids eating meat and drinking wine, and these guy's drinking water and vegetables. Can you imagine them like, why are you eating that? Why are you not participating? These guys are Jewish. Why are you not eating? Isn't that the pressure that we sometimes get? Have you ever had someone tell you, I have Christian friends and they participate in this and this and this. Why don't you? Don't be such a prude. Who do you think you are? And start trying to derail you. That's the pressure that they went through for three years every day. We know that they kept that promise, that commitment for at least three years. Afterwards, Daniel went back to eating meat and drinking wine. You know, once it was under his control what meat he ate. We know this because in chapters 10, you know, he gets a vision from God and he fasts for three weeks. And it says, and he fasted and stopped eating food, meat, and wine, which means he just stopped While he was under those conditions, he kept his determination for three years. So I guess the question for us is, are we doing the same thing? Are we keeping our convictions? If you're a student in this room, here's a question for you. Have you made a list of the things that you will not participate in with the people, your friends at school, regardless of the consequences? If you're a parent here, what example are you setting for your children? How do you conduct business? Do you have your list? Is there a list of lines that you are not willing to cross at work? Or when you're hanging out with your friends, do they know the lines that you're not willing to cross? And listen, this is not even a matter of coming and pointing with the finger to other people and start condemning them for what they're doing, especially if they're not even believers. The Bible calls them blind. You wouldn't get upset with a blind person that trips and breaks something. You know, these people probably don't even know that what they're doing is wrong. So what do we do in those instances? We don't participate. You become a light by not participating. You have no idea the impact that that can have in the life of other people. See, every time I think of these things comes to my memory. The story that um, good friend, Doug Miller, he's a missionary that works in the peninsula. Old friend of pastors, Mark and Laura. I've known him since we started the church. And he told me this story. He says, when I was a teenager, before I got married, you know, I was working in a construction crew. And every Friday at the end of work, we would all drive to a store and they would all buy a bunch of beers and food and start drinking. And every time they offered me one, I was like, no, thank you. No, thank you. Just one Friday... I was really tempted to have a beer with them. You know, and, and, and I almost gave in and I said, no, thank you. He says, that Sunday at church, I started praying. And I said, God, show me if this has any meaning at all. I mean, I don't think it's making any difference that I always say no to the beers. I mean, is it really that bad if I just have one beer with my friends? If it doesn't, show me somehow. And he says that the next morning, He hadn't noticed that there was a new member in the crew and he came to talk to him before they started working. And he said to him, by the way, I wanted to thank you that on Friday you said no because I have a serious problem with alcohol. And if you hadn't said no, I would have probably said yes and I wouldn't be here today. Thank you. You have no idea who's watching you. Your kids are... Your friends are. Do you realize you carry the image of God? So, even if they criticize us, they stop inviting us. We lose popularity with friends. This is why it takes courage. So this is what Revelations 21 means. I, I confess to you that the first time I read Revelation 21, I got freaked out. Because I don't know if you read it, but it says that the cowards will not inherit heaven. And I thought, uh uh-oh, so if I'm afraid of certain things, they're going to kick me out. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about this. It's talking about the people that are willing to sacrifice their convictions because they are cowardly afraid of what other people will think of them. So they would rather not follow Christ than to lose their friendships or the good image that they have created with them. Daniel and his friends set boundaries regardless of the consequences. And if there's anything that the church needs more today than ever in a long, long time, is that type of determination and courage. People that are willing to not sell their convictions. See, convictions are not really convictions if you're willing to sacrifice them for comfort, popularity, or fun. We need to have convictions. And you might be thinking at this moment, Well, you still haven't told us how, and you would be right. And that's what we're going to study next week. Okay? So let's pray. Father, um, these are strong confrontations for many of us. And perhaps many of us uh, just have to repent, confess to you, ask for your forgiveness and for your strength i know lord we live in a very very harsh environment probably as harsh as the one that daniel faced every day so give us that strength remind us that you're always with us remind us always that we are yours and you're a good and loving father and what you want is the best for us and this is why your commandments exist help us father help us obey them it's in your beautiful name that i pray amen